The singing was loud today, and I, I love hearing. Um, I love hearing the, the the greatest instrument. I think that I love hearing here is the voices of God's people. And um, as we were singing, and I just was thinking, "Gosh, it's loud here. It's singing. Singing is loud." And this weekend, when uh, the men were together, and we were in this smaller room, and and we were just belting it out, and it was loud. I was reminded of. Uh, of an amazing verse in Zephaniah 3, Zephaniah three seventeen and 18. It says that the Lord quiets us in his love. He, um, he rejoices over us with gladness and he exalts over us, his people, with loud singing. That's just amazing. And we're singing and we're, we, we sing loud. We're singing loud today. And, and yet the, we, sir, we, we are singing to a God who sings. We are singing to a God who, we are singing to a God who sings to us and sings over us. Just amazing. We are uh, moving into a new teaching series, and I'm sure we'll take some breaks for a week here and there. But for the next, uh, for the next few months, we're going to be in the book of James. Uh, James is an amazing, amazing book. I've been parked in James for the last maybe six months thinking about it. I mean, I, not just in James, but I've been mulling things over, mulling James over for quite some time. And it is an amazing book. <clears throat> Two passages that are um, largely known, or for which James is largely, largely known, are the passages that deal with hearing and doing God's word, not just being a hearer, but being a doer of it. And the passage that deals with faith and works. And, uh, but the book of James is more than just those two things. But I think one thing we can say is that James, the book of James is a book of action. It's not a book just to think about things and, you know, meditate on truth, but it's a book that calls us to bold and courageous action. In fact, there are, in the book of James, there are 108 verses and there are 58 commands. 58 commands, 58 imperatives in 108 verses. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of action. That's a lot of calling us to do things. Not just to believe things, but to do things. I like to think of James as a book that's like a portrait of living faith. Right? Living faith. Faith that is not dead, but faith that works. Faith that is alive. Faith that hears the truth, and does things and acts on it. And this is what God, I believe, wants to do here in our midst through the book of James. I mean, I, Reed and I have talked and prayed about this. And, you know, I, I said to him one day, I think, I think the book of James is going to be revolutionary for us, for me and for us. And then I thought, well, maybe reviving, reformation. Was there any other big R word we could throw in there? But it's just going to be very impacting in our lives. God wants to make you into a beautiful portrait of living faith in Jesus Christ. Faith that is alive. Faith that shows itself in actions. In a life that is very contrary to the current of the world. And I want to ask you to do something. As we go through the book of James over the next months... I want to ask you to, to consider and strongly consider 
to start reading through the book of James once a week. Maybe more, but at least once a week. It'd probably take you 20 minutes. It's not a long book. And it's not hard to understand at all. It's very straightforward. If you're ever reading through, through the book of James and think, this must mean something other than what it clearly says. Trust me, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just very straightforward, very clear. Take you 20 minutes. Read through it once a week or more over the next several months and just immerse yourself in this book. Verse 1 introduces us to the author and introduces us to the people that he is writing to. Of course, James is the author, right? He introduces himself right away. James. Now, there are three, at least three Jameses in the New Testament. There is James, the son of Alphaeus. There's James, who is the brother of John, who is the son of Zebedee. And there is James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. Most every theologian and commentator believes that this is written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. I find that very instructive in how he introduces himself. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Some things we know about James, though. He was a man that was full of zeal for obedience. He loved God's law. He wanted to be obedient and wanted to act on his faith. We're going to see that all throughout the book of James. He had a zeal for the Lord. Some said that James was such a prayer warrior that he had large calluses over his knees and grooves in the floor where he would kneel down and pray. He was a man of burning zeal for the Lord and for obedience. But it wasn't always that way. It's interesting. I mean, James was not a follower of Jesus. The brother of Jesus was not a follower of Jesus all throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 7, we see Jesus' brothers, of whom James was one of them, chiding him. You know, since, since, since it is your time, go up to the feast and show yourself, they said to him. He didn't believe in Jesus. It wasn't until after Jesus had died, been buried, rose again, and appeared to, multi- to a multitude of people that, more than likely, James believed. So he wasn't always a follower of Jesus. And I think this shows us, even by this introduction, the deep impact of the gospel. Someone who, was, someone who probably hated his brother, probably was jealous of his brother for all the attention he got, certainly didn't follow him, didn't believe in him as the Messiah, and maybe had severe and strong issues with him. James introduces himself. This is the brother of Jesus. How would you introduce yourself? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a saint. All of these are great answers. James introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Literally, servant means, I mean, it just, politically correct world, we say servant, it means slave. I am a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the brother of Jesus. This humbling effect of the grace of God that had come to him. 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel. James is writing to, it says, the 12 tribes in the dispersion. More than likely, this just means he's writing to the scattered people of God abroad. Right? The, the people of God have been scattered, and he's writing to exiles and sojourners and strangers and aliens in the world that have been scattered throughout the known world. And then, right, there's 58 commands in 108 verses. First command comes in verse 2, and it is a strange command. It is a bizarre command. I mean, this is so strange. Only strange people do this. And I hope we leave a little more strange than when we came in. Okay? Only strange people say, okay, and show me how to do this, and I'll do it. Here's what it says. Count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds. That's strange, isn't it? NIV says something like, consider it pure joy. I'm just the purest of joys. Pure joy when you go through trials. Count it pure joy. Count it all joy. When you go through trials. Now we like the idea of counting it all joy. Like we just heard, stopped it. Count it all joy. We'd say, Great. Count all joy, all joy. And he says, when you meet various trials, all kinds of trials. This gives us a picture of a man walking down a road and he meets on this road or on the sidewalk, on a walking path. He meets a trial down the path, down the road. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 says something almost the same. It says, In this salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. When James says, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. He's being very general here. Saying trials of all kinds. All different kinds of sizes, all different lengths of duration, right? All kinds of trials, big trials and little trials. I mean, just the run of the mill, daily things, daily trials that we go through. And the big life altering ones count it all joy. Kinds of trials that are relatively short, short lived, that is, and trials that seem to go on. And on and on. Count it all joy. Physical trials and financial trials and emotional trials and societal trials, right? Christians at this time, and we're seeing this more and more in our day in this country, they, they don't have this place of social respectability. They certainly didn't back then. And we have in this nation for quite some time, but that seems to be on, it, on its way out. So societal trials, relational trials with other people. There are some here who you are experiencing the trial of being pregnant or recovering from a pregnancy and delivery of a baby. Many of us are going through trials of ra- having and raising young children. Right? It's not bad trial. It's just, it's, it's work. 
It's a trial. It's something we face every day. Having and raising young kids. Having or having growing and grown children. And all the trials associated with that. Children, having children that are flirting with or abandoning their faith. Imagine the deep trial of being a middle-aged person and you see your 30-year-old son or daughter rejecting Christ. James says, count it all joy. There are teenagers here who are facing the trials of wanting to fit in. Of all the growing responsibilities that come along with being a teenager. Just the other day, I'm going to pick on Serena. She said, I just wish, she, she really doesn't wish this, but in a moment of time, she said, I just wish I could be five again. <laughs> you know what? I do too. <laughs> I guess Sabrina's not in here. I pointed out, and that's Olivia there. I wish I could be five again too sometimes. There are the trials of being newly married. There are the trials of being married for some time. There are the tri- There's all kinds of trials, various trials. Now let me ask you a question. What is the first question we normally ask when we're going through something hard? We think or we ask it. What? Why? Why? It's interesting James and Peter and really all throughout the New Testament just really shows us that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's understandable that we do that, right? We just say, Lord, why? But we shouldn't be surprised. You see, James, we're going to see this all throughout the book of James. In fact, in James 1, the, the, the theme is repeated very clearly in James 5, the last chapter, when God says, You remember Job and his endurance, his perseverance, his steadfastness through trials. James wants us to live out our faith in the crucible of life, in every test and every trial. So count it all joy. I I, I find it interesting that, again, verse 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when... You meet trials. So various trials, trials of all different kinds and shapes and sizes and durations. And then he, but it says when you meet trials of various kinds. When, not if. When you meet trials, count it joy. In other words, it's going to come. They are going to come. Life is just we just walk through trials, right? And if you, if you don't think of trials just as like the, these, these big things like being stoned or put in prison, we realize this. Lives are, our lives are just full of challenges. Jesus said it would be this way, John sixteen thirty three. These are some of the very last words Jesus said to his disciples in what's called the um, Last Supper Discourse. Some of the most precious words from Jesus. And he says, um, in this world, you will have trouble. So we often ask the question, why? But we shouldn't. Or we shouldn't let that bog us down. We ask the question. I still ask the question. 
But we shouldn't be surprised when challenges come. We shouldn't think it's a strange thing when we face trials. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. Verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. Don Carson, uh, he's a professor at a seminary, author of many books and well-known speaker. He said, the unavoidable reality is if we live long enough, we will go through hard things. So when you meet trials of various kinds, count it all joy. Now, I, I feel it necessary just to pause here for a moment and just address something that I'm sure some people are wondering. When, when James says, count it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds, I mean, you're going through whatever kind of trial it is. I mean, just the, in the most general sense, something hard, something you're facing. It begs the question, well, is that all we do? Do we not pray? Do we not seek God for deliverance? Don't we seek for help? Don't we go to others to try to help us out? Of course we do. We absolutely do. We do. We pray. We pray for God's deliverance. We pray for God's healing. We pray for God's help. We seek wisdom. In fact, the very next verse, verse 5, which Reed will touch on next week or get to next week, it says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Right? If anyone lacks wisdom, you're in the midst of a trial, and that's when we need wisdom more than any other time, right? We're facing something difficult. We need God's wisdom, like, downloaded into our brains. And he says, ask. But the first thing he tells us to do is to count it all joy. James says something is happening in and through the trials we face, which is why we can count it all joy. James says something is happening in the midst of difficulty. When your faith is tested, when you're going through trials, something amazing is happening, which enables us and gives us strength when we know this to count it all joy. Listen to what verse 3 says. Well, verse 2, count it all joy when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Another word for steadfastness, perseverance, endurance. The theme for our men's retreat was running the race with endurance. So James is saying, for you know that when you go through these things, something is happening. Here's what's happening steadfastness, perseverance, endurance is being produced in you. Now, James assumes that we know this, that we know this, that this is something we know. Do you know that trials and tests of faith produce steadfastness, which then leads to spiritual maturity? kind of grows us up, takes us from, from childhood spiritually and grows us up in Christ. 
not in some random kind of cause and effect way or like good karma sort of thing. Like, hey, if you just kind of have a good attitude, then, then good karma will come your way and steadfastness will, will be produced. No, not in that way at all. But there's actual purpose. There's actual purpose in our trials. There's actual purpose in the challenging things we go through. Did you know this? God has purpose in it. It's to produce steadfastness and it's just to produce um, perseverance in us. It's to produce this, this ability to stay strong and keep going when things are hard. Is to keep following Christ. Is to have this resolve. I have decided to follow Jesus. And there is no turning back. Well you know what? We can follow that through. As God produces all of the fiber. And the strength we need to do it. Which is steadfastness. And perseverance. God produces that in us. The goals of life from this text, from the book of James, and I would just say from, from, from the entire Bible, is not maximum fun and maximum sensual pleasure. The main goals from this text are joy in maturity and steadfastness, which come down from, a, from God above comes down as a gift from God above. Counting it all joy, knowing that God is at work in the midst of all of our challenging things that we face. Every single trial, trials of various kinds. Now, some might say, who cares about endurance? That sounds boring, right? It's like this. You know, the Christian life is is this endurance race, right? It's a marathon, not a sprint, I gave this analogy to the men, so bear with me if you heard this already. No one gets excited for the Olympic Games because they can't wait to watch the marathon. Right? It's not as exciting. Everyone wants to tune in to watch the 100-meter dash, which is over in nine seconds, nine and a half. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So we should care about endurance. We should care about perseverance because we need it to make it to the finish line. Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, um, because of lawlessness, he's talking about at the end of the age, because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. But those who endure to the end, those who persevere, those who are steadfast to the end will be saved. Oh, how many people start strong and don't finish? They don't make it. Hebrews chapter 10 says, You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. I love these verses. It says, In this, I read part of this earlier, in salvation you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Listen to verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise, 
and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Endurance is absolutely indispensable for salvation. Absolutely indispensable. Perseverance is something we need. We all love those short bursts, right? Like those 100-meter dash, like that, the, the, the nine seconds, metaphorically or figuratively speaking, where we just, we sprint and God is just, you know, he's always alive to us. But there are, there are times when it's like, man, he's taking me from here to here really quick. That's awesome. But the Christian life as a whole is an endurance race. It's a race of steadfast, consistent pursuit of Christ. This morning, I found this very interesting. I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe um, in, uh, you know, found it interesting. I, I have a laptop and I have Windows 10 on it. And I didn't know Windows 10 did this, but I just kind of noticed that I turn my laptop on and it's a different screen uh, saver Im- image than then I've never put any image up there. So it's just something different. Maybe every time I turn it on, I, I don't know. This morning, uh, about 5.45, 6 o'clock, roughly around there, I turned on my laptop, and it was a picture of a hot iron just out of the fire being pounded to make strong. I don't know. I don't think that's coincidental. I said, thank you, Lord. I like that image. Going through fire, well, that's what Peter says, fiery trials makes us strong. It gives us steadfastness. James chapter 5 says this, You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The purpose of God working steadfast in us, steadfastness in us is maturity. He says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The word perfect gives the idea of being fully grown or coming of age. The word complete means to be whole or to be made entire, right? To be entirely put together, fitted together. The purpose of trials which produce endurance and steadfastness is to grow us and make us ready for eternity. It's to, it's to, it's to bring us to maturity. It's to bring us to completion. James really does want us to know joy. He really does. He really wants us. First command, right out of the gates, count it all joy, all joy, pure joy. As I said earlier, this is, an, this is a very strange command, especially given as the first command. And I think one of the reasons this is given as the first command, oh, this is just something I thought of, um, I could be wrong, is that it's often the last thing we would ever think to do naturally. I'm, I'm saying in our flesh, right? Uh, trials come, we we would complain, we would murmur, we would call up other people and tell them how hard it is. We would do all kinds of other things. We would ask the question, why? And we would keep asking God why and might even get angry at him. The last thing naturally we may do is 
to count it joy. The Christian life is such a supernatural faith. I mean, I mean, this is a miracle that God needs to do in us. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm not here. I mean, I'm growing. I have more room for growth. He wants, God wants us to know and have this joy. But it's not the kind of joy that we have when we sit down and eat our favorite piece of pie or when our team wins the Super Bowl and we jump up and down and we got a big smile. It's not necessarily that kind of joy. It's more like the joy that a pregnant woman has when she is able to look through all of the discomfort, all of the pain, all the different things happening to her body, and I don't know what, right? You guys know, you women know. You're able to look through that and you just know there's a baby coming. (laughs) And you rejoice in it. You rejoice. You know life is being produced in you. Right? Life is happening there. Growing. And the same with us. It's that kind of joy. That kind of joy. So how is the miracle of this joy produced in us? I want to end with this. How is the... How is the miracle of this joy produced in us? And I, just, I have five things I want to close with this morning. Number one, trust in God's sovereign goodness in and over your trials. Lots of verses communicate God is governing the entire universe. It says of Jesus that he upholds the the universe by the word of his power. It says in Colossians 1 that Jesus holds all things together in himself. God governs our lives. God governs the world and God governs. This is a a mystery. This is something that's hard for us to to accept sometimes. And there are mysteries associated with it. I, I grant all of that. But God governs our trials. And I want you to see that from this passage. If you don't see it here, forget everything I say. All right, I mean, I don't have any authority unless I'm saying what God says. So I see that in three places in this passage. The first, and I put put these together, I'm like, that seems pretty clear to me. It says, when, not if, you go through trials. When you go through them, it is bound to happen. It doesn't say that we won't go through them if we live carefully enough or if we have enough faith or anything like that. It says, you will go through them when you meet trials. We don't live in a world of random fate but in a world created and sustained by God. Then there's the phrase that says, the testing of your faith. Count all joy, brothers, when you go endure, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith. 
Peter uses almost that same language in 1 Peter 1 when he talks about the tested genuineness of our faith, which is refined in fire and shows itself to be true. So our, our faith is tested. Now listen, I'm just being honest here. I would not choose to do that to myself. And that's not the devil's aim in, in, in bringing things to us. I believe it's God's aim, the testing of our faith. And then the third thing I see here is the purpose clause, the, the word that in verse four. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. That you may be perfect, complete. And just a side note. Doesn't that sound amazing to be perfect? Complete. Lacking absolutely nothing. God is sovereign. And God is good. God is good in his sovereignty in and over your trials. Number two. Believe that God is totally for you in Christ. Totally for you in Christ. Not like, well, today, man, God must be angry at me. No, God is totally for you. Yes, a father disciplines his children. A loving father disciplines his children. All of that, but God is totally for you. And in fact, God's discipline is because he is totally for us. God is totally for you even in your trial, maybe I'd say even especially in your trial, you need to know that, you need to believe that. And I just think the command itself, count it all joy. Do you, do you realize God is saying, count all, this is a command from God or from James through the Spirit. God through James, I'll put it, that's a better way to put it, okay? God wants our joy. God is for you, totally for you. Even when we go through hard things, let us continually be directed to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ, where we have a perfect and once for all declaration from God, I am for you now and forever. There's a story, the story in the Old Testament of um, a, uh, God telling Abraham to take Isaac, his son, his, the heir of the promise given to, to Abraham, to this mountain and to sacrifice him there. And many of you probably know the story. But anyways, Abraham takes him up and he gets, gets ready just to slay his own son. And an angel of the Lord stops him. And, the, and God speaks to him and says, now that I see you have withheld not even your own son, I know that you believe in me or that you trust me. I can't remember the way it's put. Similarly, you and I ought to look to the father and say, because you didn't withhold even your own son, I know that you are for me and you are not against me.
I find it deeply encouraging that because of Christ and because through faith in Jesus we are in Christ, no trial we face, no trial we face will ever sink us and every trial we face will work for our good. That is a promise. It's a guarantee without a doubt. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who is against us? Number three, how do we get this miracle of joy produced in us? How do we get it into us? Number three, let steadfastness work its way into your bones. It says, um, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it have its full effect. I just put it this way. Do not forsake this most precious gift. Whatever you are facing right now, you need to know and believe and just trust and submit that God is working steadfast, steadfastness into you. And he wants it to get really into you, deep down into your very bones. Number four. How do we get this miracle of joy produced in us? Treasure God and his work in your life as far outweighing any discomfort a trial may bring to your life. Treasure God and what he's doing in you. And, and, and so that that outweighs whatever kind of temporary, and it all, it, all trials are temporary, Whatever kind of temporary discomfort and pain and sorrow that we experience, anguish that we experience in this life, treasure God. Treasure Christ. See him as the ultimate prize and not a comfortable life and not fun or all the other things, all the things that trials kind of seem to take away sometimes. Paul says this in Philippians 3, says, I count all things as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I mean, he lost a lot to follow Jesus. And he says, I count all these things as loss because it's better to know Jesus. It's better. Number five. Hope in God. That this is the path that leads to everlasting happiness and joy with no trial. Let me explain. We need to have hope in God that the road we're walking now that is full of trials and difficulties. The narrow road, as Jesus put it, that is that is it's narrow and, and he says it's even hard. There are hard things we go through in life. This is the path that leads to glory. There is no other path for the Christian. There's no other path. The other path is the broad way and the easy path that leads to destruction. This is the path that leads to glory, challenges, difficulties, and unspeakable joy in Christ. Hope in God that this path that we are on with trials Leads to everlasting happiness, everlasting joy. And 
such that when we're with the Lord in the new heavens and new earth or in heaven before he comes back, if we die, that there will be no more trials, no more cause for weeping and sorrow, no more aches and pains in our backs. I went down the toboggan run once and my hip has been bothering me ever since. One time. No more of that. Some of these guys went down dozens of times probably. None of it. No more trials. No more hard conversations. No more relational, not seeing things eye to eye. It just will be gone. And this is the path we walk to get there. Perfect. Complete. Lacking nothing. Here's what James 1.12 says. And it's total parallel. Except it brings it all the way. It says, how blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Isn't that what we're going for? Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if, if we've only trusted in Jesus for the payoff in this life, we are utterly foolish. He, in fact, he, he goes further. He says, we are of all men to be pitied. Right? We, are, we are ultimately, we want all that God will give us of himself in this life, but we are ultimately people with our sights set on eternity. How blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And so, as we go through difficulties, trials of various kinds, we count it all joy. We count it all joy. We know that God is working. We know that God is sovereign. We know that it's leading to glory. He is our treasure and not the things that are being messed with in our lives from time to time through trials. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this most amazing book, the book of James, this portrait of living faith. And God, I pray that you would do such miraculous and glorious things as we go through this book. And starting today, Lord, this miracle of joy. God, I look across this room with all these folks here today, all these beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And many of them, I know the trials they're going through, have gone through or are going through. And God, I pray you do this miracle today in their heart to count it all joy, to have a totally different perspective about difficulties and trials as we walk through this world as exiles, as strangers, as aliens, as sojourners. God, I pray that people around us would see as we go through hard things, they would see something is different about that person. They are going through the fires right now and they are rejoicing in God. Thank you, Lord, for everyone gathered here today. Thank you for your word, the truth of it. In Jesus' name, amen.